I'm Dylan Curtis, and this is the I'm Wondering Podcast. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome back. It has been a while, several weeks, in fact, since I last did a podcast episode. Um, I had a few people ask if I was going to resume. Uh, yes, uh, I am resuming. So here we are. Uh, I hope all of you had a wonderful Christmas, had a wonderful New Year. Uh, yeah, I know uh, I did. Uh, my wife Hannah and I, we went to Santa Fe last week, which was a lot of fun, very interesting place. Uh, we got to see um, some of the old old cathedrals there. Um, we went to what's claimed to be the oldest church in America, uh, the San Miguel. Uh, it's a Franciscan um, uh, cathedral, uh, so St. Francis of Assisi. Uh, which we talked about, actually, Jacob and I covered in one of our podcasts uh, called The Naked Saint. Uh, So if you're interested in who St. Francis is, you can go back and listen to that. Uh, I don't know the episode off the top of my head. Um, But yeah, it was really cool that the San Miguel was built, they believe, in 1610, which was really interesting. Um, So it's the oldest church in America. Uh, It was attacked at one point during the Pueblo um, Revolution, which I think was like in the 1860s. This is all from the top of my head, so I'm not sure. Um, But yeah, really cool to see such a historic uh, cathedral. And there were a couple other historic cathedrals we saw. There was some art, uh, which by the way, I am not going to become an art collector anytime soon uh, because we went into some galleries and some pieces where I'm not kidding you, in the tens of thousands. Um, And things that I just didn't think should be in the tens of thousands, uh, which clearly indicates that I should not be an art collector. Um, But it was really fascinating, good food, and uh, we had a lot of fun, and it was nice to rest. I feel like I haven't been able to stop and rest for a long, 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 long time, um, especially with uh, seminary, um, and all of that. So it was nice to get away. Uh, so thank you for any regular listeners for your patience and allowing me some time to rest, uh, taking, you know, Pastor Amy's advice seriously and getting away and and resting. So, um, I'm looking forward to getting back to the podcast, um, and covering some, uh, interesting, interesting topics. Uh, today we're going to cover, uh, what I'm calling, expression versus essentials. So I will explain uh, what that is after we take a break, Um, but I hope you will stick around with me as we cover this topic today. So let's do it. All right, so expression versus essentials. What do I mean by that? Uh, So by expression, I'm essentially um, talking about the different types of traditions or cultures that may arise in any given denomination or interpretation of Scripture. I mean, how we worship, our types of liturgy, um, those sort of things, the things we emphasize in our faith. Um, There's such a wide variety of that within the Christian faith itself. Um, and I would call those different expressions. 
Um, and then essentials are, um, of course, those things which um, hold true pretty much across the entire Christian faith. Um, for the most part, we'll caveat that and we'll talk a little bit more about that. But I thought it would be um, nice to cover this topic because it often um, comes up in different ways, uh, ways that I think we realize or don't realize, uh, whether that's uh, honestly maybe slamming another uh, expression than our own, whether that's denominational or what have you, or um, we get into debates about Scripture and what it means, and sometimes I think there's um, beliefs that can seem opposing but can be held in tension and can both be faithful to um, Scripture. Um, so I think it's an important thing to talk about um, in, in the sense of unifying, um, in the sense of appreciating and respecting different expressions. Um, I, I would like to see more of that, and I'll, and I'll kind of argue why later on. But I remember another reason for this is um, my wife Hannah asked me, you know, maybe a week or two ago, like, why are there so many denominations? Why are there so many different Christian denominations? Um, and that's something I've uh, been asked a few times from different people. Um, and, and I'll just go through why I believe there are so many different denominations. Um, you know, I, part of it is the Reformation. Um, it's one of the pieces that, um, I think is sort of a fallout from the Reformation because, you know, after Christ leaves, you have the age of the apostles and they're kind of, you know, planting, Paul is planting churches, Peter is working with churches, each are dealing, one's, you know, Paul's dealing with the Gentiles, Peter's dealing with the Jewish Christians. Um, and so you kind of see the church grassroots starting to plant and expand, and it's a lot of house churches, and and usually you don't have a, a church that's going to be bigger than maybe 50, because there's not massive houses, there's some larger houses, but they kind of went by the capacity they had. So it was very uh, home church, if you put it in modern terms. Uh, of course, we have home churches. I'm sure many of you know about the home church movement. Um, so it was similar to that. Uh, then, of course, um, Constantine legalizes Christianity in 313. Um, and then we have the Council of Nicaea in 324-25. And uh, so now we have a more formal Christianity um, establishing itself. A lot of the old pagan temples from the Roman gods were now being taken over and becoming Christian churches. You sort of see the institutional nature of the church. And from that point until basically the Reformation in the 16th century, you have the Catholic Church, um, but there is the Eastern Orthodox Church that arises. So the Western Church is primarily stationed in Rome, um, and of course that still stands today for the Roman Catholics. Um, and then the Eastern Orthodox Church kind of establishes itself in Constantinople in the East. So you kind of you, you you sort of have two different churches, but in a lot of ways they're really united for. Um, you know, about 700 years until the Great Schism occurs uh, around the year 1000, and that's where there's an official break. But otherwise, anytime you see a creed, um, that is a whole church. So that's the Eastern Orthodox and the Roman Catholics coming together. Um, it's, it's the entire church world coming together to have, you know, statements of faith, say, uh, the creeds, and, and what we agree on, and the essentials. So the church, though there's some differences um, between the two, are it's pretty united. There's really one church in a lot of ways. The schism occurs, um, and so that at that point, you kind of see your first break 
um, based on somewhat based on expression, somewhat based on essentials. I would say it's it's probably more of a 90-10, like it's 90% expression and 10% essentials that they're splitting over. Um, and of course, there were some other uh, ideas and theologies floating around that that would subvert essentials. Um, but anyways, from from that point until the Reformation, you really had like almost one church, essentially. There weren't all these different denominations. Um, but then, of course, uh, the Reformation starts. And from that point, you see, uh, even if you read the Reformers, they start going back and forth on different issues, uh, whether that's how they see the Lord's Supper, whether that's uh, infant baptism versus believer baptism. All of a sudden, you start to see um, a lot more um, minute or like finer details of, of scripture and theology being debated. Um, and I think that's really where you start to have different denominations arise. Because um, scripture was was translated into the common tongue, um, and Martin Luther, of course, had a huge part in that, um, translating it into German for people. And so now people had scripture in their hands, which was not the case from the time that the church really became institutionalized until the Reformation. So now people are reading for themselves. They're not being told what to believe. Um, they're now reading for themselves and coming to their own conclusions. Um, and so a lot of ways you now have more of an individualism with Scripture, where I read, you know, and we see this a lot today, of course, uh, specifically in reader response Bible studies, which is where a group of people read the same passage together, but then we each share our individual views. That sort of individualism led to um, people breaking on different things and, and new expressions coming about um, and more debates coming about uh, uh, of how we interpret Scripture, how we apply Scripture, those sort of things. So you see a lot of splits start to occur, I think, over non-essentials. It really is expression in a lot of ways. And some people would say, well, it is essential, and we could, of course, then start a debate with that. But what I really want to get at is because of this, because Scripture is now in the hands of the people, uh, now that there's more of an individualism of how I personally interpret Scripture, uh, you kind of have more splits over these minute things um, in a lot of ways, these expressions. Um, and if uh, in modern times here in America, I looked up uh, from the Hartford Institute for Religion Research, um, there is roughly 300,000 congregations in America. So that's a lot. Um, that is a lot of churches. Um, and, you know, anywhere from on the conservative side, 200 denominations upwards to maybe 500 or so denominations. Um, it kind of depends on how you break those down. For instance, if it's, oh, do you just count Baptists as Baptists or do you start to break it down as uh, Southern Baptists or General Baptists or Missional Baptists? Uh, American Baptists, um, same with Lutherans. Do you break Lutherans? Do you, is that just one big chunk, or do you break Lutherans down as Missouri Senate or Wisconsin Senate or uh, what faith community is part of the LCMC or the NALC? Or so, if you start to break these down further and further and further, um, then that number of denominations, of course, grows and grows and grows. Um, and just because somebody's under, say, the Lutheran branch does not mean that they agree um, in expression and, or even essentials, as, as we've kind of seen in modern times. So that is kind of the state of where we're at. That is why I think there's so many denominations uh, or what's led us to so many denominations. Um, and there's a lot of pros and cons with that. I think the biggest con to me 
uh, is just how much disunity there can be um, that we're splitting over non-essentials a lot of times, um, you know, and that's, that is harmful to the mission of Christ and to the gospel spreading. And that's, and I'll talk a little bit more about that later. Um, but one of the pros, of course, is that scripture is in the hands of the people. And I think uh, by reading scripture that through the power of the Holy Spirit is a beneficial thing for all of us, um, whether we realize it in the moment or not. Uh, I think God uses that um, to help grow us, to help um, conform us more to the image of the Son, as Paul talks about in Romans. Um, so I think there's a lot of positives to individuals having Scripture in their hands um, and being able to read for themselves, um, even though there is obviously some downsides to what how that's manifested itself maybe in how the church operates. Um, so yeah, again, the this idea of expression versus essentials, you know, and I said expression being, you know, what kind of traditions or cultures arise from any given denomination and interpretation of scripture. Uh, of course, a Methodist is going to interpret and operate differently in tradition than a Lutheran, and a Lutheran is going to be different than a uh, Episcopalian, and Episcopalian is going to be different than an Anglican, and so on and so forth. Um, you know, and I think beyond even scripture, um, expression is often dictated too by social factors. Uh, I think it would be unwise um, for us to assume that external factors don't influence uh, our reading of Scripture. Um, There is no reading and interpreting Scripture without the human element. Um, It's not as if there's any particular expression or denomination that has perfectly and blamelessly uh, found the the real core of scripture um, that's kind of ridiculous to me to think that that would be possible um, because uh, that's just we're humans each of us have different experiences we each come from different socioeconomic backgrounds uh, ethnicities nations uh, tribes tongues if you want to start talking about um, the way scripture would put this you know that that all influences the way that we approach and read scripture and I think it would be healthy for all of us to realize that as we approach scripture, that our upbringing, our external factors in our lives, that, that influences how we read scripture. Um, and, and it would be healthy for us to understand that. And especially when we're talking across, uh, across denominations or expressions for us to maybe be more charitable, realizing that we bring our own influence to some degree. Um, but I also think that there's a positive in that because it demonstrates the per- personal nature of God, uh, that God could speak to someone who is the complete opposite of me um, and still speak through Scripture and through prayer and through the Holy Spirit to that individual. And I think that is amazing and and shows kind of the transcendence of God, both that He is transcendent, He is over all things, um, but He is also imminent in that He's a personal God who can speak to each person's situation and circumstance, no matter what that is. Um, so that that's amazing um, that it's not that Christianity um, is is only it's it's fit into this particular culture and expression that it it cuts across all these different boundaries and can look differently um, in the way that it's expressed and lived out. Um, and that can be biblically faithful. And and I'll kind of touch on how important that piece is, that it's biblically faithful. Um, You know, so these wide varieties of expressions exist, um, and they're faithful. 
even even though they are influenced at times by the human element, by us being humans, um, there is always going to be that. And I think back, a funny story for me personally is um, I think of my great uncle, who's a, a wonderful, wonderful man, very faithful Christian. Um, and he and my great aunt came to visit one time. This was back when I was in college. Um, and I was involved in Campus Crusade and, and with another church. And my uncle during the meal said something to the effect, the effect of, I am so glad that you're really, you know, invested in, in a church and in Christian community. Um, but I just make sure it's the right kind of community, um, by which he was saying, make sure it's, it's the right denomination or the right expression. And my great aunt being the wonderful, loving woman she is says, Oh, don't listen to him. We're just glad you're, you know, you're part of the Christian faith and and that's an important thing to you. Uh, I think that's a great story about how some of us approach this, that it's like, yeah, you're Christian, but are you the, are you the right kind of Christian? Are you, are you under the right denomination? Are you under the right expression? Um, and those are very non-essential uh, things to, to debate as Christians. Um, so the question then would be to me, what are the essentials of the Christian faith? What are the non, what we might say, non-negotiables? Uh, so these are what I think are pretty much the essentials uh, that are commonly held. Um, now, I say that um, with the exception that there are some sects of Christianity that would not hold these, but these are, um, on the whole, I think both um, beliefs that most Protestants, if not, you know, the large majority of Protestants would hold, and Catholics in a lot of ways. Um, so you could get into like, you know, Unitarians or Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons or things like that, and I would say they don't necessarily hold these essentials. So that there is some areas of Christianity that um, we would break um, with each other on these essentials, but I would say most, if you go to a mainline Protestant, uh, evangelical church, non-denominational, like pick pick anything in there, which is the majority of of Protestant churches in America, um, they would hold these beliefs. Um, so these would include, um, you know, one, the Bible is the inspired and authoritative word of God. Um, that is from straight from the Reformation. That's a huge, huge piece. And most of these are from the Reformation in a lot of ways, um, because that's where the Protestant sect began. Um, two, there, uh, that there is one God, uh, eternally existent in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So this is where like the Unitarians would break because they deny the Trinity. Um, and Unitarians are a very small sect of Christianity, especially in America. Um, three, the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ, his virgin birth in his sinless life, his miracles, his uh, vicarious and atoning death through uh, his shedding of his blood, um, in his bodily resurrection, in his ascension to the right hand of the Father, and his personal return in power and glory. Um, so if I had to pick one essential belief that I think has a ton of expressions, um, this is that one. There's a lot of debate um, about how all of those function. Um, you know, and that, that doesn't mean that we wouldn't all affirm the core tenet of what these what, what I just said, what that belief is, uh, that we would probably agree on a lot of, most of us would agree on the virgin birth and sinless life and all those things. Um, but there are certain things like his return. There's a lot of debate on what that looks like, when that's happening, all those sort of things. Um, so 
I, I don't say that. Um, I'm, I'm saying this to just, just make the point that there is a small minority that might debate some of these things. You know, there's been an effort in some sects of Christianity to uh, what I would say de-deify, um, that is to take away some of the um, divine aspects of, of what Christ did, like his miracles. Um, some of you maybe don't know, but uh, I believe Thomas Jefferson uh, wrote his own version of the Gospels and took all the miracles out. Um, so people have tried to do that before, but that is a slim minority, I would say, on the whole. Um, number four, that uh, for the salvation of lost and sinful people, uh, regeneration by the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential. So that is, regeneration is essentially um, the Holy Spirit bringing renewal or new life um, into somebody. Um, so that that is, uh, that's how they you know, as becoming a Christian, you receive a new life in a lot of ways. Um, now, this is where some would say, well, is it being born again? Um, and some Christians would say yes, and some would say it's not necessarily born again, but it's a um, it's a reclaiming of um, the broken image of God, if you will. There's a lot of different ways to kind of read that. Um, I would say most Christians say, yes, you need some sort of um, regeneration by the Holy Spirit, when that occurs is debated. Um, but the idea that regeneration happens is a widely held belief in the Christian faith. Um, uh, number five, I believe, one, two, three, four, yep, five. We believe in the present ministry of the Holy Spirit by whose indwelling the Christian is enabled to live a godly life. Um, so that's a very commonly held belief. Um, there are some who would argue uh, the Holy Spirit in the sense of giving spiritual gifts like we see. Uh, you know, you could look up First Corinthians. There's the speaking in tongues and prophecy and those sort of things. Some Christians would say they debate if that still exists. Uh, or not, but I don't think any Christian would believe that the um, that the Holy Spirit is is not an active part of a person of of, of a believer's life. Even Catholics believe that. Um, now, the spiritual gift stuff is debatable, but when it comes to living a godly life, um, I I would think almost any Christian would say that the Holy Spirit is necessary in helping us do that. Uh, number six, we believe in the resurrection of both the saved and the lost. Uh, that um, that they are saved unto the resurrection of life and that they are lost unto the resurrection of damnation. <clears throat> so like a universalist would disagree with this, right? The universalist would say everybody makes it to heaven. Um, I would say it's, it's pretty much impossible to be a universalist and be a Christian. Um, you know, we could, I would love to debate somebody who's a universalist on this point. Um, I think universalism is a nice thought. Yeah, it would be great. I think, it would be wonderful if everyone was saved, um, but I don't think Scripture attests to that. And again, the first part of this list is that Scripture is the inspired and authoritative Word of God. Um, but I won't dive too much further into universalism at the moment. Um, but the resurrection is a part, and Paul's very clear on this. If you want to go through Scripture, he's repeatedly clear on how we are resurrected, and then there is, you know, eventually there's a judgment. Um, so... But you could, I'm sure this one's, I know this one's debatable, debated amongst Christians at times. Um, and the last one, you know, we believe in the spiritual unity of believers in our Lord Jesus Christ. So I'll reference some scriptures that support that in a second. Um, but that's a pretty, you know, widely held belief that we're unified um, because of Christ. We're unified through Christ with one another, um, with Christ and with one another. 
Um, so I think if you read this list of pretty much any Protestant in America, um, I bet most there would pre- be a pretty unanimous agreement with a few caveats, like I've mentioned, some denominations um, in that small minority that, that maybe break from some of these essentials. Um, and of course, I would encourage any of us to engage with uh, people without compromise, um, but at the same time to engage with the spirit of grace and love. Uh, I don't think you're going to beat anyone over the head and make them agree with you. It just, I've never seen that work. Um, so good luck with that. Uh, but I think overall, even even with these essentials, you might see some minor debate on the finer points of it um, on each essential, but uh, that's part of what leads to different expressions. And But the again, the important thing is, is that the core of each of these statements is pretty widely held. Um, and with the Catholics, um, they would agree probably with most of these statements, if not all. So what I'm getting at is there's a lot a lot, a lot more agreement um, on the core matters um, than uh, than we tend to, I think, believe. Um, and we usually like to find the um, differences. Someone in Bible study this morning said, "It's oh, it's so much easier to divide. And I agree. I think he's right with that. Um, it is easier to divide than to find um, the, the bridge um, in our expressions uh, by our essentials, is what I would say. Um, because I think if you keep those essentials in mind that it would help us bridge uh, the gap between our expressions and maybe come to understand and respect and uh, treat each other better. (laughs) So is this current situation unique to our time? Obviously not. Kind of went through some of the history uh, of how we got here. Um, But also, I mean, back in uh, the age of the apostles, there there was plenty of debate on um, expressions and things that were non-essential. Uh, here's a few scriptures for you. Second uh, Corinthians ten seven. Uh, you are judging by appearances. If anyone is confident that they belong to Christ, they should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as they do. Uh, talk about a humbling, humbling verse for us to remember um, that people, <laughs> even of different expressions, belong to Christ just as much as we do. Um, so. Just keep that in mind if you ever get into a debate with someone who's of a different expression than you. Galatians 2.6, as for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. Uh, So Paul is essentially, he um, came to some leaders of the church in Galatia um, and asked for their input um, on his message to the Gentiles, and they agreed and, and thought he was doing the right thing and didn't have much feedback. But Paul is trying to state, we're all equal in Christ Jesus. Um, So it's not, even if you're a teacher, uh, even if you're maybe a secretary, maybe if you're, you know, think of the person in your mind right now who you might consider could could be painted as the lowliest in the kingdom uh, in this life. Um, and then the the highest, most esteemed in this life, uh, we're all equal, and, and we as humans maybe want to put uh, you know people in high regard, or maybe we hold some people in low regard. Uh, but if we belong to Jesus, we are all equal um, in in the sight of God, and God is not showing favoritism uh, to to certain people, and and not showing favoritism to others. We all equally belong to Christ. Um, further in Galatians, Galatians 3.28, of course, many of you probably know this, uh, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, 
nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Um, so yeah, these external factors that maybe lead to different expressions and denominations, um, you know, while those are important and I think beneficial for people's faith, um, they are not ultimately the most important thing, which is the fact that we are one in Christ Jesus. Uh, and that supersedes any external factors. Um, I think that exceeds any expressions um, that we can be united as one in Christ Jesus, despite those differences. Uh, Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Um, You think Paul's making a clear point here? (laughs) I think he very much is. Um, And I love love this passage, Um, just the repeated use of one. Um, to remind us that we are we are one, we are unified. There is one faith, uh, many expressions, but there is one faith, um, and we we are called to be uh, we are called to be reminded of that constantly. I think, um, and then I'll end with uh, some some words from Jesus. This is one of his prayers um, found in John seventeen twenty through twenty one, uh, which I think is very comforting. Think about that. Jesus prayed uh, prays for us in this passage and. There's even, uh, I I believe, again, off the top of my head, that there's even, Jesus even prays for those who are still to come to the faith and and him. Uh, He prays for those people as well. And I think that's amazing. So Jesus was praying for me. Uh, He's praying for you um, before we were even a thought in our parents' eyes. Um, That's pretty amazing and comforting if you ask me. Um, But this is what he says in John 17, 20 through 21. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Um, So there you go. This is the passage. I I just forgot this was the one I picked. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. So Jesus is praying that we all are one. um, Because, you know, being God, uh, I'm pretty sure Jesus already saw uh, on multiple occasions, (laughs) even amongst his disciples who debated who would be the greatest, Um, We also know that he would have known the dissension and the disagreement that could continually arise. So praying for unity for all of us, um, that as we receive this message, that we are united, um, just as Jesus is united with the Father. Think of the intimacy um, um, amongst the Trinity. I mean, obviously, Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit are one in essence, um, so think of that, how how intimate obviously that is, that that's the sort of intimacy he's praying for, for all believers, that we would be, you know, just as united as they are in one essence, that we would also be united as one body. Um, so yeah, I think those are pretty compelling uh, scriptures for us to to read, reflect, and, and to, to think about as we engage um, other believers who maybe have different expressions or, or interpret scripture a little differently, um, that, that unity is such an important part, um, that the essentials are such an important part more than the expression. Um, so how do, we, how do we treat others with, different, with a different expression than our own or part of a different denomination again? Um, so at this point, I hope it's pretty clear uh, that we treat those with different expressions with love and respect, um, just because an expression is different than our own does not mean that we have different faiths. Um, and that's really important to keep in mind. These are not different faiths. We all have faith in the one Lord Jesus Christ. Um, 
and a, a caveat though, I do want to add a caveat, which I've kind of said a few times during this episode. Um, if someone denies an essential belief, um, I think a more serious matter exists. Uh, we, we, I don't think we're called to, um, just go along with someone who is expressing something that, that sabotages an essential, um, you know, a good, a good modern one is that, oh yeah, Jesus is just one of many ways to heaven. No, uh, as a Christian, we can't abide by that statement. Um, we, we should defend and uphold essential beliefs. Um, and of course, one of those essentials is that no one comes to the father except through me, as Jesus said, um, that he is the way, the truth and the life. Um, so there are times where I think we can put our foot down a little more heavily, um, if someone's claiming to be a Christian and, and kind of undermining very essential things, um, you know, those are the words of Jesus. Uh, this isn't the word of Paul, even, if you want to start to try and be nitpicky about it. Uh, you know, I think all of Scripture is inspired and authoritative, as, as one of the essentials says. Um, so I would say, you know, Paul, Paul also was inspired, and his words are authoritative. But Jesus, God himself, says, you know, no one comes to the Father except through me. Um, I think it's pretty hard to say, well, no, that's not the case. It's just there's many options. So there are times where um, we need to defend an essential. But again, let's do it with grace and love and respect. If we get heated, uh, we need to walk away because um, that's not going to be helpful both to defending the truth and to convincing another person. Um, so let us, let's Let's be mindful of the way we do this, not just uh, what we're talking about, because um, that's, I think that's damaging if it's done wrong. Um, <clears throat> so for us to uphold these essentials, um, I think it's imperative that we be as familiar with Scripture as possible. Um, it is the highest authority. Um, the highest authority isn't our, you know, the saints who've gone before us, the the dead theologians who maybe are the kind of the fathers of maybe a denomination you're in or an expression you're a part of. Um, it's not it's not those founders of those denominations. It's not a particular culture. Um, you name it. These are these are expressions. They are not essentials. Um, and the highest authority and essential is the Word of God. Uh, so if you hear an expression of faith you might not agree with, um, ask yourself. Why do I not agree with this? Uh, if the expression is reasonably justified by Scripture, which I think a lot of them are, um, then choose harmony over dissension or debate. Um, if you fear the expression is counter to the Bible, then I would say by all means engage in debate with uh, the right spirit and approach. Um, you know, and I'm convinced that if we were more charitable with our brothers and sisters in Christ, because again, we all have one faith. Uh, one baptism, one spirit, we're all part of that. Um, you know, if we were more welcoming of various expressions, that the church would become an even greater force in the world than it is today, um, that the gospel would spread even further and God would be glorified that much more by the de- demonstration of unity um, amongst his people, amongst the different denominations, the different expressions, whatever, that there would be unity. I think that would speak volumes to our world. Um, so I'm, I just want to leave you, I've been going on for a while, so I'm going to leave you with just this challenge. Um, may our posture in debatable matters be to learn, listen, and love. I hope that is our first approach when we go and talk about 
different expressions and debatable matters that we would listen, learn, and love. Um, and that would make just a huge difference in my opinion. So that's all I got for today. Uh, and I'm Dylan and this is the I'm Wondering Podcast.